Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fucksters? How are you? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Thank you for joining. Got up early to do morning radio. I was on Heidi and Frank this morning talking about tonight's episode of Marin on IFC. I might as well talk about it here as well. This is my show. I've been making the rounds at the publicity uh, machine. Was on midnight the other night. Did Kimmel a couple weeks ago. They repeated that. Like I was on, I was Mr. Television Tuesday night. I was on midnight and a repeat of Jimmy Kimmel. Big night of Marin on two different networks. Huh? And then tonight on my own show on IFC which I, I hope you're watching. Tonight's episode is uh, is a bit gnarly, funny, deep, uh, a little touching, a bit brutal emotionally. Uh, it's actually based on something that never happened. But l- let me tell you who's on the show here today. Today is Kevin Corrigan. Today I talked to Kevin Corrigan. You all know Kevin Corrigan. He was in Goodfellas, The Departed, Super Bad, Pineapple Express, big fan with Patton Oswalt, Community. He's appeared on there. You'd know him. You'd know him if you've seen him. He's uh, He's been in almost every indie movie made in the last 20 years. I mean, maybe that's a stretch, but uh, he's in a new one that we talk about a bit. I was actually only halfway through the new movie uh, when I talked to Kevin. Didn't get through it, but I was enjoying it. I was sort of immersed in it. Uh, I like movies like that. The, the last guy that sort of compelled me that way uh, in terms of his art, Joe Swanberg, um, was to me an amazing independent filmmaker. And uh, in this film that I started watching, it's it's called Results, directed by Andrew Buchalski, who I believe did another film uh, called Computer Chess, which I did not see. But I have not seen his films, but he's clearly a dude with a vision. And I felt that right away when I started watching it. And Corrigan's in it, and he's great in it. Guy Pierce is in it, and he's great in it. And Constance Zimmer, who was on my show as well. But anyways, I was enjoying the film, and I finished it since I talked to Kevin, and uh, I would have told him it was amazing because I, I really dug it. it. It was interesting. It was not predictable or hackneyed. It, it, it was a kind of lyrical and poetic. It was a real indie film, and I dug it. So there, there's how I feel about Results, the movie, which should be opening uh, any minute now. In uh, in theaters uh, in tomorrow, tomorrow, folks. All right. So, anyways, Corrigan's going to be. I'm going to talk to Corrigan in a few minutes. Let, let's make sure I get to everything I want to tell you. I want to talk about tonight's episode of Marin. I also want to talk about the Rolling Stones concert. I'll tell you what's going on tonight. 
the episode of Marin was a little rough. It was uh, it, it, rough for me to make emotionally. This is the episode that I wrote and directed this year. It is about a hypothetical situation. I don't know how I would handle it in reality, but I did write it. The character of Mark Marin has an ex-wife who has written a book. Their ex-wife's name is Michelle. And uh, she was played by Jessica Mackinson, who played her briefly in the first season of the show. And it's basically, you know, we decide or she decides or, you know, collectively sort of decide that, uh, you know, she, she, I should have her on the podcast to help her sell her book. Her publicist uh, suggested it. And we think we can handle that. And through the course of, you know, moving through the house, which you'll have to suspend your disbelief as being the original house. There's only been one house in the mind of the show. We had to switch houses set-wise because the first house was no longer available to us. But it's all the same house. It doesn't matter. So it's really about her coming back to the house that uh, we had bought together. And, uh, and there are flashbacks, which is why I uh, shaved my uh, face and cleaned myself up. But, uh, but doing this episode and making the episode of Marin that you'll see tonight... Um, I was able to really kind of get a little bit of closure that I didn't think I would ever get. It was, it's interesting. It's a very raw bit of emotional uh, theater here on Marin tonight. And it's very real emotions. And uh, I hope, um, <laughs> you know, I'm no, I'm no uh, Olivier, but uh, I was definitely tapped into this thing. So it's, it's compelling and it's raw. And when I watched it again, I, I kind of got choked up. There's comedy in it. Don't, don't, it, it's balanced. But uh, Mary Lynn Rice Cub is also in the episode, as is Dave. Pow! Look out! Just shit my pants, just coffee.coop. Haven't done that in a while. Don't even have to do it, but I did it. Because I was feeling emotional. And I went ahead and stepped on that with a coffee plug, with a slurp and a plug. Slurp and a plug. I push those emotions down. But watch Marin tonight. I'd like to know what you think. Uh, it's very personal. And uh, I have a lot invested in it. Uh, acting wise, writing wise, and uh, and also um, directing wise, it was a it was a big thrill to direct a, to direct this episode. Oh God, I'm nervous to, for it to be on television. Okay, Rolling Stones, Mark Maron, Dean Del Rey, going to the Rolling Stones. Now you heard Mick Jagger promise me Mark Maron on this show to take care of me. Dean comes over on Sunday. We get we hit the road about two, and we're kind of jacked. We're 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 it's we're, we're early. We're leaving early. It's about two hour three hour two to three hour run down to San Diego. And I'm like I'm nervous because like I don't like crowds, you know, parking situations and everything. And you know he's pretty sure that everything. Dean's like this president, like no, nah, dude, it's gonna work out great. Everything's gonna be great. We're set. We're there. We're there. Like at five thirty, five forty-five, we park thirty-five bucks, no problem. Like literally a, a half a block from the stadium, we get out. We go to Will Call. Seems to be a little chaos about where that is. Doesn't look like there are tickets there. And we go to this gate and we're going through. And there's someone with a clipboard. I'm like, yeah, we got media uh, Will Call, media Will Call. She gives us these two tickets, and we look at the tickets. We don't know what it means, but we it, it's a three. Uh. Row 11, seats like 9 and 10. I, re- I actually remember that. And the price tag on the seat was like 395 395 bucks. And we're like, dude, what is this? Where are these? So me and Dean are like, fuck, what do we got? 
And we go, we go down the field, we go, and we're 11 rows up from the stage in the A3 section, which is just stage right. So it's like, like right at a perfect angle to see people. We get down there on the field at six o'clock. The stones aren't going on until nine. Gary Clark Jr. is going on at eight and he's up there, you know, tuning his guitars and shit. And, uh, and King Zapata, his guitar player sees me. He's like, what's up, man? I'm like, Hey dude, you excited? He's like, yeah, pretty excited. Then people started coming. And as Dean said, a lot of reading glasses out. Yeah, it was that kind of crowd. <laughs> you know, people like a little older than me, some my age, but, you know, not a raucous bunch, but a lot of people. But it was, here's the weird thing. It would be very easy for me to condescend to this. And, you know, I am a young, I am on the younger spectrum of the boomer uh, arc. The, the last one out of the gate, really. These were people that had a relationship with this band probably their entire life. As I did, but not in the same way. I would imagine that many of these people seen this band a lot. They were probably growing up around the same time as the Stones. They were teenagers, maybe. You know, I came to the Stones always late to the party. But you know, I you know by the time I was you know listening to the Rolling Stones, I was in high school, and and all their records had been out. So all of a sudden, like this weird part of my heart is opening to all these people that I would generally find annoying. There's a, a vanity to the boomers. You know, there's a, a lot of hair color around. There's a, a lot of strained uh, uh, ego presentation in, in the way of attire, uh, a lot of showboats and whatnot. But whatever, we're at the Rolling Stones show. So I was there and I was excited, but I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how it would feel. I have a weird thing with older people in that I feel like they're fragile. And it, and it reminds me of my own mortality. And it reminds me, I, I haven't quite put it all together, but I get nervous around elderly people. And, 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 and I shouldn't because, you know, that's where it's all at. You know, that's where the wisdom is. That's where the humility is. That's where... Uh, you know, hopefully a sense of humor and not darkness and bitterness. That's where it all ends up, if you're lucky. And I think I'm just awkwardly afraid of the vulnerability that comes with getting old. Inevitably. Inevitably. Because we all fight so hard against that. We just do. It's natural. You know, the, the one thing America is not known for is aging gracefully. Americans in general panic about it so anyways a big thing happens on the screen there's like this film strip like the career of the rolling stones and this groovy fucking you know video thing and then like the lights go down and i just feel myself like i'm sitting there like going, what's this going to be about and then like the video happens and i'm feeling like the electricity going through my body i'm like oh my god oh my god the rolling stones and then it's like they introduce the rolling stones and then i hear the, like i hear keith just like plunk out the fucking opening chords of jumping jack flask and i'm like yeah like i'm up me and dean are up we're standing i'm waving my hands i'm pointing at the stage with the little beast fingers you know i'm doing the whole fucking number and then mick comes out and he's he's like old mick man he's like not old mick but like young mick he's like just bouncing around he's doing the dance moves he's doing them like he was fucking 20 like, well, actually a little better. He didn't really learn how to dance that well until I probably mid-20s. And he's just kicking it. And they're on it. It's the Stones, and it's happening, and they're right in front of me, and I can see him. The screens are going. Ronnie looks great. Charlie's holding steady. Keith is hanging on, just, like, looking good. You know, he's taking all the weird dangly shit out of his hair. He's just wearing a headband. Looks respectable, charming like the fucking devil. And Mick is just jumping around, doing the dance. It was fucking stunning. 71. 
71 years old, jumping around. The lights come down. Mick puts on a guitar and they play Moonlight Mile. They start Moonlight Mile. And Mick fucking hits the notes, the falsetto beautifully. I start weeping. Dean is like, oh, no, oh, man. And like, I'm, I'm crying while Mick is, is singing Moonlight Mile, weeping. He sounded perfect. And then they, you could see the, the, on the big screen his face. And you saw, that's Mick Jagger. But within the Mick Jagger head, see, what, what could easily become sort of tragic is if, if, if the age beats out the Mick Jagger. Like if, if, if the age consumes how large the Mick Jagger-ness is. And then it was perfectly balanced. There was his face. I could see all the lines of his face and I could hear the thing that you can't hide when you're old in his voice. But it was sounded beautiful. The vulnerability of, of, of being Mick Jagger or being anybody at that age was coming through in these songs and the audience was moved by it. So like that one thing that I prejudged, this idea that, that they would be too old to do what they do was completely leveled by the fact that they are doing exactly what they do because they are exactly who they are. And we were all sort of like in it with them. It was beautiful and it, it, it meant a lot to, to, to know that they're still putting out this, this type of show at this age. It was fucking amazing. It was everything. And goddamn, I, I want to thank everyone involved for getting me those tickets, for getting me and Dean to have that experience. And no, quite honestly, the, the playlist on the ride home for some reason was uh, on that two-hour run. A lot of Grateful Dead. Me and Dean were doing a lot of Grateful Dead. Little Almond Brothers did some Skinnerd uh, and some ZZ Top. And we, and, and we played it loud. On the way down, uh, a lot of ACDC. And then we enjoyed the Stones in between those two car rides. It was spectacular. Great experience. And they were fucking beyond anything I could have imagined. All right, let's talk to Kevin Corrigan now. I've kind of got, gotten into a, a, a talk show type thing. I got drafted into it. I was subbing for someone, and then that person never came back. Oh yeah, it's like a, a live talk show. Yeah, on stage. Yeah, and you uh, talked to David Johansson, him, and and, and Kim Gordon, as yeah. you did. I, I that's I, not easy. <laughs> Nothing easy about that chat, was there, Kevin? Oh well, I, I ended up, you know, I, I I asked her if I could read some passages from her book, you know, and, and that oh. uh, that was fun just to to. Oh, that that was that's a good idea. It was nice, and just to be up there with uh, with Kim and David, two generations of oh yeah, rock New York, and, rock, New and York yeah. rock and roll was just. It was hard not to get a little self conscious about that. I think I did. You grow up with it? Well, you know, I, I how old I, are you? I'm I'm 46. Right, so you're close to me. I'm 51. That's right. Yeah, I, you, you you interviewed uh, uh, Imperio Michael Imperioli yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. so I listened to that. Are you guys buddies? Yeah, you know, I, I, we, we, we met him a while back, you know, uh, he worked in a restaurant with my brother. Oh, yeah? Uh, I think in, in his interview with you, he called it a wedding hall. <laughs> it's a restaurant. Um, <laughs> Are we going to correct that? There's a minor correction. But it was a very fancy restaurant uh-huh. in, in Scarsdale. You know, people like Phil Rizzuto would go there. Oh, uh-huh. I think Joe DiMaggio was a good friend of Nat's. Oh, really? People like that would. So, is that kind of place? So, Italian food or what? Yes, Italian food. Uh-huh. Very, you know, classy place. They would have a, 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 a carnival. Like when you think fancy restaurant. That's it. 
that was it. But it, they did. They must done events. He he had it in his head that it was a you know an event sort of place. It was definitely like a like the set of a movie. Uh-huh. So if you you know they would have weddings there. Maybe uh, he only worked those events primarily. Yeah, yeah. That that was their specialty. They would have these. Uh, um, what did they call it? The uh, the Viennese tables. Uh-huh. Uh, I I I I guess there was a, a a a very brief moment where I was thinking of 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 going to work there also because because the, the 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 invitation was there the option was sure there. they and so you wear a white shirt and a bow tie maybe a red jacket a black jacket black jacket uh, yeah I I think uh, you know one day going to a school I went to high school in the Bronx at a place called Mount St Michael for two years and mm-hmm. and one day I couldn't find any pants. So I grabbed my brother's tuxedo pants, you know, with the, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the stripe, stripe down yeah. the side. Uh, uh-huh. Someone who I went to school with, who worked with my brother at Alex and Henry, goes, "Hey, you wearing your brother's pants, huh?" <laughs> anyway, um, so <laughs> and Michael worked and that there too. That became your look. That became my look sometimes. <laughs> occasionally, uh, I, I wore a pair of tuxedo pants occasionally. Yeah, with the uh, with suspenders. <laughs> they had suspender buttons, and they were secondhand. I got them I, at some point. I was doing that. That's a style. Sure, it, you know, it was I? I don't know what style it was. Maybe clown, <laughs> maybe clown was what I was going for. <laughs> but you didn't take the job there. No, I, I, I'm just. I'm not a working man. You know? No, it never were. No, it was no. never your thing. I've never had a job. How many? Really? So, how many siblings do you have? Just my brother. And you grew up. Uh, you, you grew. You spent your whole childhood in the Bronx. Yes. What part? Uh, the last stop on the D train, uh, 206th Street. What uh, was that neighborhood like? Uh, diverse neighborhood. I mean, primar- uh, you know, predominantly, I guess, you know, Irish Catholic in the 70s, 80s. Yeah. Uh, but it was a pretty diverse neighborhood. You and know? you're Irish all the way through? Um, Irish and Puerto Rican. Huh. Yes. That's not a, that's not unusual in New York, I don't think, right? Not not as much as you'd. You, well, I don't know if you would think that was unusual, but uh, I had a, a friend, a couple, one or two buddies that I grew up with who who also had like a, 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 my friend Chris Ramos's mom was Puerto, uh, was uh, Irish and his father was Puerto Rican, so we were we we had that in, I had that in common with a, a few people, yeah. not, not too many. Do you speak uh, Spanish? I don't. And I I, uh, I did ask my mother why that was uh, when I was in my twenties. Yeah, and she said my grandmother didn't really want that for my brother and me. You know, that's just she didn't even want that for my mother. Right. I'm like, but you spoke Spanish. My she speaks l- a lot less Spanish today than she did when I was growing up. I guess I was to 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 you know to sort of integrate. Yes, exactly. Right. You know, I, I do have, I remember, you know, hearing my mother speak Spanish on the phone. Uh-huh. You know, the family was a lot bigger back then. It's kind of, you know, uh, people, Tightened up. people pass on, you know, things change. And, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, there was a, a very lively scene at my grandmother's house in the South Bronx when I was growing up for Christmases and Easter's and, you know, she was very religious. And, and that was the Puerto Rican side. Yes. So did did you get the Irish scene as well? Did you get both sides? There was a time when everybody would make the rounds. Like my uncle Jack and Aunt Mary would show up at uh-huh. my uncle Sam's house. So there was a, a there would be a mix because they all grew up together in the South Bronx in the fifties and sixties. Your mother's family and your father's family. Yes. So that so you go from uh, from a very specific 
I'd imagine a Puerto Rican Catholic Christmas situation. Yes. To a a, a fairly specific Irish Catholic. It, it, it was. We would ping pong. We would just bounce the all. The food was town. probably better at the Puerto Rican situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a little more flavor. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, there was something, uh, you know, uh, that both cultures offered. You know. Yeah. Uh, like what? Well, you know, just. Um, Everybody likes to party, you know. Yeah, sure, so, uh, sure. It was a, a, a very uh, um, um, drunky kind of culture. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it had a good, a good. It had its uh, ups and downs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, uh, but that was the neighborhood too, you know. It's just like a lot of partying. You know, I have a, a good friend. Uh, uh, one of my best friends uh, is from Astoria, Queens. Yeah, I lived there for a few years. I know you lived there. Yeah. Uh, 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 um, he lived on uh, Ditmar's right near the train, and, yeah. and uh, his name's George Silidis. Uh-huh. So he's Greek, and he's. Uh, we would uh, often talk about the differences between Queens and, and the Bronx, especially in terms of like drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, and that the, the Bronx was much more alcohol oriented, whereas Queens was more like codeine and you know, oh, yeah? sort of like. Uh, Quaaludes, no kidding. That kind of uh, head. I don't know if I never. I noticed. I don't know if I noticed that. I did notice, like, after I went back to New York, like in two thousand five or six. I noticed there were dope heads on the train to Queens. Like, I, I, I made. I assumed that some of that business must have went elsewhere. That you know, on the Lower East Side doesn't have the heroin it used to. But I saw a few times. I would see people looking like they were going to score out there in uh-huh. Dip Mars. Yeah, maybe that started where maybe some of that business moved out there. I don't know. Um, I don't. Know. I, I think it was kind of a widespread. I, I, my friend, uh, you know, David Krumholtz lived in in Forest Hills, and uh, he would just talk about how there was like a, 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 a sort of a mental institution out there. So there was just like a lot of crazy people on medication everywhere <laughs> yeah, in, on the island in Queens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like yeah. Uh, where and whereas the Bronx yeah. was a lot more sort of rowdy. You know, sort of uh, uh, you know a lot more drinking going on there. Yeah. What'd your old man do? Well, my father is uh, was a uh, was is uh, a, a placement counselor. You know, he's a headhunter. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's always worked in Manhattan. He's always worn like you know nice suits. He's always taken me out to get fitted for like a nice suit at oh yeah, you know, men's warehouse or Barney's or something. You know, like uh, ties. He mm-hmm. has a great collection of really tasteful, nice clothes. Mm. Uh, and he he worked in an office. He worked in the Daily News building. In the early '80s, yeah. you know where uh, they filmed Superman. So you walk into the uh, the lobby, and it has the big planet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And my my mom is an artist. She, you know, she's uh, she went to high school of art and design and uh, school of visual arts, and uh, you know didn't pursue like a a, a, a career at it, but uh-huh. had, but never stopped doing it and passed that on to me. So I. What's know, her medium? Uh, she's a you know oil painter she's a sculptor uh-huh uh she's a dressmaker and uh, she can write and uh and they're still together they're still together yeah isn't that sweet it is sweet when did you start acting when i was 14 i started going to the lee strasberg theater institute your parents were supportive of the decision to kind of take those classes they wanted you to get involved not not right away they you know they told me to wait a while you know when I told them I wanted to be an actor, they said, give it a year. So I, I did, and then I, I saw... So that was when you were 13? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I, made I, you want to do it? Well, I, I, I went to see uh, uh, the movie Terms of Endearment. Yeah. Kind of 
knocked me out. I really was kind of like blown away by that movie, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, and, yeah. And Sh- Shirley MacLaine too. Right. And uh, I, I just kind of really fell in love. I, I was kind of desperate at that point to to, to pursue it, just because of the, whatever that movie. You know, that movie made me kind of. Uh, that was some experience. Yeah, it was. It's a real tearjerker. It is. Yeah. Takes you on a real a little roller coaster ride. It does. Jerks yeah. you around. Yeah, there's a lot of great acting in it too. John Lithgow, Deborah Winger. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Yeah, yeah. The power of acting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm more of a sort of De Niro, Pacino guy, but but it was that that movie was the, you know. What do you think it was about it? Just the the way you felt that you were moved. Uh, yeah. I guess it was the. I I don't know. You know, I I've been re- revisiting a lot of a lot of movies. Uh, like uh, I just watched American American Graffiti the other night. Again. Again, and just can, can never get over how great you know Richard Dreyfus is in that movie, and right. you know Mackenzie Phillips, and yeah. Paul Lamatt, and uh, uh, Candy Clark. Everyone yeah. in it, it's just like they seem so real. There's yeah. such a, a spontaneity in, in in the in their performances, and it's like uh, that. That's that's what uh, it was an infectious energy, and uh, that's the, you know when you, it's it's like what. Uh, you know, John Lennon used to say about you know, like uh, about song uh, songwriting. He, he takes hearing something by Mick Jagger to f- make him feel like, oh shit, that makes me want to make a record. <laughs> you know, yeah, when I yeah. when I see someone in a good movie, it makes me want to try to find a, a job like that. Sure. You know? So you start. Yeah. So you you you're provoked by uh, terms of endearment to go to Lee Strasberg. It is. It was a, pro- a, a provocation in, uh-huh. in, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And you show up there at fourteen. How did, how were you received over there? Um, I think uh, I you know I was never made to feel like I didn't belong there. I was I was welcome right away. Uh, I was just kind of you know uh, the, once I got set loose in that place, it was it was the place for me to be. For, you were the kid. Sure. I, I became the kid. There, there was another kid there at the time. Yeah, what happened to that kid? He's out of the picture now. I, I was like, you know, <laughs> you ain't the kid no more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, it, it took about a year of... Uh, of out-acting him? Yeah. 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 Slowly chipping away at his confidence? Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of... I stole some of his material, actually. Oh, this, did you? This guy was... Uh, he, he, maybe he's still acting. He was doing the monologue from The Catcher in the Rye, and I, I, I was, like, pretty amazed by... Yeah. The material, yeah, yeah. I didn't think he was doing it very well, and I. But it was a unique uh, approach to pull a monologue from the catcher in the right. Yeah, maybe not that original. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But um, didn't make any difference. I mean, I, I was like, that's that book I was supposed to read in my freshman year of high school, and I didn't. So I, I reread it, and I was like, uh, I, I started doing the same thing that this guy was doing, only better. Right. What was the training at that point? I mean, at least Strasburg. I mean, what, what you were just, you would work with a teacher. Do you remember the teacher? Did the teacher have an effect on you? Yes. Uh, there was a, a man named Jeffrey Horn who was uh, uh, an actor, is an actor himself, but he was in a, the movie The Bridge on the River Kwai. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was kind of a, you know, a star in the making mm-hmm. in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and, and he was a, a real inspirational guy because he would... Uh, uh, Share a lot of his own like personal stories. But did he miss his? Did he miss his shot? <clears throat> was it like that? A little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit. But you know, you know, these days I I, I really look up to to him, uh, just for his. I mean, he's he's been he's still teaching there. Is he? Yeah, 
he's a he's a he's a and what what was it that had such an impact on you he was just a, a very kind guy he had a very gentle way about him mm-hmm. a very gentlemanly way about him um, a lot of the other teachers at that, that, that the school were, were uh, much more strict, much more. I mean, it was kind of harder to get along with some of them, you know. How'd you get discovered? <clears throat> uh, well, I was, I was pretty fortunate that uh, a casting director, th- there was a movie called uh, Lost Angels. It's uh-huh. kind of a forgotten film, but uh, the pretty big director of that, Hugh Hudson is a British director uh-huh. and it was a, a starring a vehicle for for ad rock from the beastie boys when he was going to uh-huh. be an actor uh-huh. and uh um uh they went around to all the schools looking for you know they wanted new faces and uh i, I got to go in and meet the casting director because of uh you know the notice that she sent to the strasburg institute right and then they just laid it on me and said go get it you know yeah and uh and so that's how that happened. I ended up getting cast in that movie. And uh how was it? It was great. I I made a lot of um uh very I mean I I made friends on that project who I'm I'm still friends with, you know, uh, yeah? to this day. Yeah. How big was the part? Not big. Yeah. It wasn't big at all, but I did work on it for 3 months. Yeah. Uh so there you was were just, around. There was a lot of a lot of opportunities just to be around, uh-huh. you know. Uh, so you got to know what a set is like, how that works, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was. You know, I, we we spent some time in San Antonio shooting it, and then they brought us out to L.A. And that, oh, really? that was the first time I ever came out here was to work on that. That's movie. exciting. And how old were you? Uh, at that point, I was uh, nineteen. So you were, you finished high school? Uh, sort of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, it was hard to stay uh, interested in, in high school after I started going to the Strasburg Institute. So what did you get? And yeah, how did your parents feel about that? I, you know, I, I think they understood, you know. I so think, did you graduate or what? I, I went to the graduation ceremony, but they didn't give me my uh, diploma. Yeah. I hadn't earned it, you know. I, I still had a lot of uh, credits to make up and... Uh, they said you can have it if you go to summer school. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Just give me my go? diploma, man. I don't know what if. Let's go to summer school. <laughs> I had to do that once because I fucked up. Uh huh. It's horrible. You, summer school? Yeah. How, how many times did you have to do that? One summer. I don't even know if I made it through because I yeah. broke my ankle midway through it. Uh huh. I don't know how the hell I made it through high school. To be honest with you. Uh huh. I just don't know. Like, I, I was so distracted, so bored, and just tired, and disconnected, and very few things held my attention. What, when, but then you went to, to Boston University, yeah. and you, you, you majored in English, English li- yeah. literature, yeah. so with the, the roots of that in high school, were you not interested in, in, in... I think my senior year of high school, my mind sort of got blown by some stuff, you know, like I took a poetry class, I started hanging around the university, and I, you know, it started uh, hanging around this bookstore, you know, and so my mind started to get blown a little bit, you know, in the last couple of years of high school, and I, I also started to panic in the last year of high school that I wasn't going to I did, I thought I wasn't going to go to college. I was like, fuck it, and, and I was kind of pissed off at my parents and this and that, but the last year of college, I was like, I got to get out of here, or the last year of high school, I got to get out of here, so I locked in. I locked in, you, you and I could, aced it. Ah, uh, like I got straight A's the last year. It wasn't enough to get me into a good school because I ended up going to another school the first year. But it wasn't, you know, I it proved to me that I could do it. That everyone was right. That I was just not applying myself. 
<laughs> so you you applied yourself. Yeah, the last year. And did then you, it cut. Uh, did you did did some part of you feel like why didn't I do this from the get go? You know, uh, I don't know. You know, I I've never been good at compartmentalizing learning. You know, like I I just take things in and I and I never. It, it's still hard for me to to realize there's a context to everything. Like even an English degree is something I kind of cobbled together. It was not the agenda. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I took to, I took a lot of film classes, film study classes, and art classes, history history of photography and stuff. So I was able to sort of get this art history minor you know like film film crit you know film crit minor just because i was interested in things so i was like i just wanted to learn some stuff and then i was able to kind of like all right if i do that one and that one i can major in this thing yeah but i was never very good at writing papers or you know i was good at bullshitting but <laughs> i had a hard time contextualizing things like you know, everything had it was very life or death with me you know it was, yeah, you never, never like you know. This is just how well, we're learning about the romantic poets. I'm like, no, but these guys are real, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so did you wait till the last minute to do a lot of things? Yeah, yeah, I still do. Uh, I still do. You? Yeah, you know. I but I I think that's a a a, a, a motive, you know, or a, a gets you in it. Modus gets operandi. You in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, some people really lay stuff out and they prepare and they you know they they probably do. Uh, you know, I guess in the fields that you and I are in, um, it's not, no one's saying like, you know, it seemed like you didn't do your work uh, two weeks ago. You know, so you're going to show up. And yeah, yeah. There's it, it, that adrenaline that comes with, with knowing you only have oh yeah five minutes left to do a, sure. a week's worth of work. Yeah, and, and also I think that it's about the being present a bit. I mean, obviously you should get, you know, your ducks in a row if you... <laughs> If things if they need to be in a row, yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it helps to be organized. Yeah, it helps to be prepared. That was something that Jeffrey Horn always told the students. You know, more than anything other, you know, more than like sense memory or, uh, uh he just told people to be prepared. You what know? did that mean? That's a. It, uh, I think it 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 had a, it had several meanings. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think he he would uh, say that uh, you know he was unprepared for. The opportunities that came his way in in his youth when he was a you know young on, actor on a, a young actor because of uh, uh, drinking and stuff like that. You oh know? yeah, and uh, but I think it also applies to just the you know having a craft you know and having a technique. Sure, get it in place. You yeah. know, once you've done it enough, you, know, you can kind of rely on it a little bit. Yeah, it's not going to leave you hanging. That's right. So that sounds like a guy had some regrets. That guy. Uh, uh yeah, I. I I suppose maybe not too many. He's all right. He's all right. Yeah. Now, when you do okay, so you do Lost Angels, and then what happens? What? How do you get? How do you get from there to uh, to Goodfellas? I mean, that was certainly a milestone, and it came a lot earlier yeah. than I. I mean, yeah. I. I. I uh, uh, yeah. You know, when you're when you're. Uh, you know say you want to be in a rock band you know sure. it's you know if you're getting into that when you're you know 42 it's a little too late to to expect anything great to happen right yeah, you know probably. because it, it's a young man's game right probably even when bob dylan was writing his greatest material arguably he was 22 years old yeah you know and and the moment has to be seized yeah at that age yeah you know and, and when you like when i was watching american graffiti the reason that the movie had such impact was because of the vitality of these youthful people in the movie yeah you know so you see you know richard dreyfus only had one chance to to channel all of that energy of that age that he was when he made that film how know? old was he i uh, 
I, I guess he maybe he was in his 20s. Let's yeah. say he was in his 20s. Okay. You know, so I, I mean, I'm grateful that, you know, Goodfellas happened w- when I was 19. Yeah. Because it would it might have been too late if it was any later than that. Yeah. The, I mean, the opportunity wouldn't have come to, you know, you, the, the chance to be in Goodfellas only comes around once. Sure. You know, and and, uh, and it came around for me and it was because, uh, well, the, 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 uh, movie that I did with Ad Rock uh, led to Lost me getting Angels. Lost Angels that I got an agent at it at and uh, and then I started getting auditions and, and maybe my third one was for, for Goodfellas yeah uh, uh, and uh, I mean I did kind of I brought that to them I said I just read in a magazine that Scorsese's making a movie out of this book Wise Guy and so they looked into it and the, the first feedback I got from my then agent was that there was nothing in it for me yeah, and I thought that made no sense because it's a New York story, and you know this got to be a lot of roles uh, in there. I, I gotta, I you know, uh, and so um, there did end up being a role that was available. I did go in and read for the casting director, and and then she did you know say, okay, you can come back to meet Marty tomorrow at the Brill Building. It's like I'm there. This is happening. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, my father helped me with my audition. It was a scene from the movie between uh, Henry Hill and and uh, Paulie, right, right after Henry gets out of jail. And uh, you're Paul, reading for who? I was reading the Henry Hill part. Was that what you were going in for? Oh no, I mean Ray Liotta already had the part. Right, but, but it was that that's the scene that they were giving people oh, to, to read. To, I get to it. Read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, two pages long. It wasn't that hard to, you know, I, I was, uh, there was a sense of urgency about mm-hmm. this appointment. And, uh, you know, I really had to steady myself by, uh, for, the, for the, you know, uh, walking into that room and, 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 and seeing him, you know, thinking, this is Marty. Gonna, this is going to go down. Yeah. And there he was. He was kind of, he had his back to me when he, he was looking up at something on the wall, but then he turned around and he was like, oh, how you doing? Come on in. What's, what's, uh, what's, so you're, uh, you're in the Lemon Sisters, which was on my resume. It was a, maybe my, the second thing I had done. And, and he goes, they were, yeah, they were editing that uh, right downstairs. And I was like, that's oh, cool. I might, you know, if I'm still in it. He goes, oh, no, I'll, I'll tell you a story about a guy. Uh, I, I had to cut him out of After Hours. Do you remember that guy? It was his first movie. I had to cut him out. It happens. <laughs> so what are you going to do for us today? I'm like, so then we read the scene. The whole thing went so fast. And, and by the time it was over, it was just like, he was like, good, good. That's great. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming in. And, and I, I, I couldn't leave. You know, I was sort of yeah. stuck in the door frame. Yeah. <laughs> starting to get really emotional. I uh-huh. said, I got to say that I, uh, I, I wasn't going to, I swore to God, I wasn't going to do this. And I can't not do it. I got to tell, you know, when I told, I was like, I just, I love you. I love you. I love your movies and I love you and I love, it just means so much to me. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I got really kind of, uh, uh, I, I started to have a meltdown uh-huh. somewhat, uh, internally anyway. Yeah. Uh, but but he was just like, ah, oh, it's great. No, 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 that's good. That's good. It's early. It's early in the day. I can use that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're cracking your heart open, and he's and he was like, uh, you know, I got uh, <laughs> got to get on with my day a little bit. Yeah, no, you know, Thanks, a, a, a little flattery and early in the morning is just just you know yeah, yeah. of what he needed. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, an hour later, I I, I got uh, I, I got hired, which is uh, you know, and the, he knew what part he wanted you to be. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I I knew what part I was I was reading for. You know, I knew. But it was, that was not the scene you did with him, or no, it was no, right. That, that wasn't the. There was really nothing for for the the Michael character to read. Right. You know. So it, it, it was fun stepping into Henry Hill's shoes and pretending I was reading for that. But more so, it was fun just to be with him, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he's, he's just, you know, he, he has an energy. He invented it. He yeah. invented New York cinema in a way. He did, yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. You and, know? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, and, you know, once I was on the set, it was so uh, just the, having so much access to him, which I did. A lot of people who've worked with him have talked, you know described a different experience uh, uh, from the one I had but yeah. for me I, I just he was always the most approachable person on the set I mean that might have had, had something to do with me being 19 or 20 years old uh -huh. and just being a kid and not knowing any better I, and I, I didn't have I didn't uh, recognize any boundaries uh huh and I was so drawn to him and I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to know things yeah. I, like I had to know certain things like what like i had to know what the music was in mean streets that comes on <laughs> after yeah. uh johnny boy throws the dynamite off the roof those are the kind of things you need to know. yeah and it was then i told him like can i ask you and he, uh, the spanish music that because oh yeah that was a uh, read sabroso by uh, ray barreto i used one of his songs on my, my first uh, film who's that knocking at my door uh-huh uh el watusi i'll make a tape of it for you and he did he <laughs> sent me a two <laughs> Uh, two weeks after I was finished with the job, I got a, a cassette tape in the uh, mail with a note from his uh, assistant saying, Marty asked me to, to send this to you. And it had uh, two songs by Ray Barreto on it, El, El Watusi and uh, uh, Ritmo Sabroso. Which was the one he used from the, the dynamite, the post-dynamite. Yes, that... Dun, 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 dun. Uh, and But for me, that was like Nirvana, getting to... Uh, receive that information, you know, uh, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm just obsessed with music, and I and I'm I'm obsessed with his obsession with music, mm -hmm. and I and I feel like he's more than a filmmaker. He's like a DJ, and his all the music in his films, as we know, you know, are just so. You know, it's like a perfect marriage between, you know, music and cinema. Oh, he, Goodfellas is a masterpiece. Oh, just, you know, minute after every, from wall to wall. I, you know. I, it, there's, I watch it all the time. I mean, I, it's, <laughs> I, I watch it at least twice a year, I think. Yeah, that's, Do that's, you? that's, that's about my average. <laughs> May, maybe once a year, but it's... Uh, it's I watch always, Casino once a year, but Goodfellas twice, probably. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 am I'm, I'm with you. I, I, uh, I ran into Ray Liotta a couple of years ago out here for a, a, an event at the Bev, at the um, Bel Air Hotel. Yeah. It, was a, it was a cocktail reception for Hugo. Right. Uh, so everyone uh, showed up for this thing who'd ever been in a Scorsese film. You know, I said, "You remember me? I played your brother in Goodfellas." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." How's it going? I'm like, "Good, great." You know, you were, um, you were really great in that movie. <laughs> Good I haven't seen even because we hadn't seen each other since we were on the set, and yeah. it's it's like it's crazy. It's like so long ago. It's a classic now. You know, it's a classic, right? Because he said he never watched it after uh, the the uh, what you saw the, that in an interview or something. No, I asked him. I said, "You've do you do you watch Goodfellas?" He goes, "I've only seen it once." Yeah, I saw the premiere. And that was it. Like really? Wow, I feel stupid. I've seen it like a hundred times. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Most people... I've seen it 
do watch it a lot, and you've only seen Ray Liotta's only seen Goodfellas once. Why do you Why do you think? Did you ask him why? Uh, I don't think he's that interested, you know, in 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 looking at himself, uh, uh, you know, like uh, he he doesn't seem to. I I don't know if there is a, a movie that he. You know that he's so. Uh, I don't. I don't know if he's the kind of guy who gets that sentimental about about movies. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like I like when you do. How often do you watch some other movies? Been in a, you know dozens of movies. Oh, I I I like to. I, I know just how he feels. You know. Sure, I, but I, that movie's a master. That thing's a. Oh know. yeah, yeah. No, it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's sure. it's kind of like a. Um, it's uh, it's it's foolproof. You know, you can't not watch it. Yeah. It's just so masterfully put together do you feel good about your work in that movie not really no but, it, the, but, but do you think that you do you watch and go like yeah I could have said I'm stirring it differently kind of you know <laughs> or, or I could have changed the line or I could have but I was so you know on my best behavior uh-huh. which can be the worst you know approach well, that was uh, that was your like the, your first big movie. Yeah, I mean, I didn't feel there wasn't a whole lot of excitement in 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 my work in that film. I was having too much fun in between takes talking to to, to, Marty? to Marty. And what else did you ask him? What were the other compulsive sort of like needs that needed to be like? Like I I said, how where, like what was mean? When did Mean Streets take place? And he goes, it takes place in the early sixties. I'm like, okay, because it came out in the early seventies, and no one ever says when it is and he goes yeah no it is the it is the early 60s huh and i, I was like that's i'm because it i can that makes so much sense to me right. now yeah yeah because uh, everyone associates it with the 70s yeah you know like there's even a line in the movie where uh one of the Carradine brothers is like a vietnam veteran and you know david Proval, he the guy he starts to freak out and goes hey, jerry you, you you're back in america now you're back in america so is that bobby Carradine? who was it uh, yeah, he's too young it's, it's, which it wasn't david was it keith Keith. Keith, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the one who's like, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Kaitel goes, so go ahead. What do you want me to hold it for you? Yeah. <laughs> um, but just, just the, all the, the minutia of of the film. Like mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to, to to. I was always going up to sneaking up behind him. You know, yeah. what, what what is this? Yeah, you another question about me? What do you like? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He goes, no, oh, I'm only kidding. I'm looking. What do you want? What do you want to know? <laughs> And I was like, I, I, tell me, you know, I was just always feeding off of. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he's so, you know, he's so game, or he was for me. I don't know. Uh, uh, he he indulged me. He really did. Uh, he's probably happy to have a uh, you on the set. Someone mm. who was that excited about it, young guy. Yeah, yeah. I I, I guess. Did you I, have any contact with him after before? Like, well, you did. You were in the Departed too, right? Yeah, yeah. That uh, it, it. It was. You know, I, I had the privilege of, of being in two is you know getting to do that twice uh, and Did you and pester him again yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i it was it was like not a day had gone by i i was 20 oh i was 16 years older yeah and i felt just like that uh kid again uh and and i i said so marty did you uh you know cream is getting back together he goes i know i was i was gonna go to that show but i couldn't i was in pre-production for this and uh, i said so yeah so hey listen let me ask you something i know 
Asajat uh, uh, Ray, the uh, uh, Indian director. You know, when I, I said there was a, there's a scene in, in one of his movies where there's all these uh, these Indian uh, uh, musicians they're playing bagpipes, they're wearing kilts, and he was like, "Yeah, that was the, the Apu trilogy." The, you know, he, he remembered the scene yeah, exactly, yeah. and and uh, I was like, "Well, what's up with that?" I mean, you know, like that drone, that that bagpipe drone, and the the sitar kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I mean, every culture, you know, discovers that. At some point or another, they sort of have a, you know, they they find that if they take a, a, a stomach lining of an animal, dry it out, and a couple of months go by, and then they hit it, and it goes, Ooh, oh, they're like, oh, wow, that happens in every 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 culture over over the the centuries. That wasn't even the question you were asking, really. Yeah, no, it was. It, it just we worked ourselves up into a. He gets very, you know, often, you know, uh, the first AD would have to come over and break it up. Oh, really? Because you were just he's, going. He's like, uh, we're ready to go here. <laughs> Shots all set up. Uh, uh, but he was, you know, I asked him about. I know everybody knows you're a Rolling Stones guy, but what do you think of the Beatles? He goes, I love the Beatles. I, you know, I've just never been able to use any of their their music in in my films. But uh, but he ended up using uh, the John Lennon song in that movie. You I, like Leonardo? Are you guys friends? Yeah, I had fun working with him. We 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 had a good time. Yeah. I I although I did have to break the ice. Yeah. You know, I met him on an airplane uh, uh, right before he went to work on Gangs of New York. Uh huh. And uh, we had a mutual friend, Michael Rappaport. Yeah. So that's how I How's started. How's he doing? Uh, Michael's doing pretty good. He, good. He's, he's great in, on an episode of uh, Louis. Louis. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. He's, he's a, he, I, I was, I, I just finally caught up with that, watched that a, a week ago. I, yeah. I, I, I was, he, he was tremendous in that. Uh, he's doing okay. But yeah, I like Leo. I, he's a sweet guy. He was. Uh, we we had a. He, he. I drew him out. I got him to talk about some stuff, and it was kind of interesting. You know. Yeah, in, I think you should things. do a, a, a movie of just uh, like you and and Marty Scorsese. But yeah, has to be. He has to be doing other things. <laughs> I would do it if he would act in the movie. Like I would love to see a Scorsese movie where he was the star of the movie. Yeah. I mean, he's. I think he's a really underrated actor well, based on the the cab scene in Taxi Driver that and also he edited a part in that movie Guilty by Suspicion oh yeah yeah he played Van Gogh in a, a Kurosawa film called Dreams he also had a, a little a moment in uh, King of Comedy as the uh, as the director the director the TV <laughs> director it's funny it's funny yeah and he was a, he played an agent in uh, the uh, Dexter Gordon movie Round Midnight uh-huh. he's a great actor yeah, yeah and he's really funny he's uh, like one of the funniest people you could ever meet he's just so he sh- it's like he should be a stand up comic he's like Gilbert Gottfried or something uh-huh. he's just so the <laughs> character um do you talk to him outside of uh socially in any way no never i i never I, 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 the last time i saw him was at that thing for uh hugo, P- hugo. Uh-huh. And, uh, i uh i i was you know sort of uh competing for you know the next moment with marty from everybody wanted to talk to him it was like the uh State of the union address where the, right. the president can't leave the building without shaking 2,000 hands yeah, and yeah, yeah. having a moment with each and every one of these people and uh, I remember uh, 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 Franny Leibowitz and I were, were looking at each other like as if to say I'm I'm next <laughs> I'm next <laughs> yeah um, it's like you no yeah well you, you made a movie about you you a documentary film about you uh, but know. when I when I finally got to, to talk to him 
Yeah. At that event, I I I, uh, I was telling him how much I enjoyed living in the material world, the George Harrison documentary. I said that's just fabulous. What a great great movie that was. Uh, I think you really nailed it with that movie. And he's like, yep, yep, that that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and he moved on and I couldn't tell whether he was like you should be saying about the, about my, my current film <laughs> Not about, that's my last one but that uh, was a documentary he did about George Harrison yes I didn't see it you know leave it to him to make the best Beatle movie you know hmm. uh, I think I saw that he did a Dylan movie he did yeah where I watched uh, uh, No Direction Home yeah. I, I loved when he was on a I forget what talk show Charlie Rose or something, and they were asking. They asked him, "Like, what's the so? What's the significant significance of the title? No direction home. What do you think it is? It's a song, right? Yeah. But the way he put it, well, you know, no direction home. Just it's like we're constantly looking for a home as artists, as people, as just living our life. You know, we're always looking for home. You know, and I think we, we eventually we finally find it when we die. Hmm. <laughs> And then we're finally home. How did Charlie handle that? How did he, yeah, how did he in, in his usual way. You feel know. that question. <laughs> I know that uh, that you did this. You did grounded for life forever. For that was a long time, right? Yeah, that that, that was a uh, that was a while back. It's all it's it's resurfaced now on a on a Netflix. So yeah, so people are hearing about it again. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that was a big job, though. Do you like working in TV too? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I, I had to. I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, you know, it's. Just, uh, um, I, I I'd, I'd been on a show in the, with Malcolm McDowell in a, in '97 or something. It was a multi-camera mm-hmm. show, and and I didn't have. Uh, I, I, I I that whole way of working was so new to me at the time, and I I didn't have a lot of fun and. I never thought I would go back to doing that again, but then Grounded for Life came along, and, you know, that was kind of a 50-50 experience, but Donal was there, and I don't know if you know Donal Logue, but yeah. he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great guy, and, 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 and uh, he, uh, I don't know, I, I would have lost my mind if it weren't for him. He was very, How's he uh, doing? He's, I think he's doing pretty good. He's, he's got so many things going on. Uh, he's on that show Gotham. Is that still on? Uh, uh, oh, he was on a... I don't know what's on television. Sons of Anarchy, you know. Uh, yeah, he uh, always seems to be working. He's like you. You guys always seem to be working. Yeah, the sort of journeyman actors. Well, how come... Uh, what about music then? You know, I mean, you, you, you seem like a, a freak for it, and you play some. I, I know I just downloaded the, the, the album that you did with... Uh, Crystal Robots band. Yeah, that guy. It's mainly uh, all the music in that in that project is written by uh, a guy from New York named Daniel Harnett, mm-hmm. and uh, um, he he had a band in the in the like early mid nineties called Glim, and they had a a, they, a residency at a club on St Mark's Place called Chenet, and actually Jeff Buckley made his New York debut sitting in with them and with and Glim with Glim and Daniel and Jeff kind of rubbed off on each other Daniel has a very uh, impressive vocal range you uh-huh. know and, and he's a, a prolific songwriter you know I mean he's just uh, uh, and and, and I, I've never heard one that I didn't like I, I sort of met him more through the acting circles but I became a real fan of his music and and uh, I, sh- I began archiving it. Uh, I mean, he just has like a thousand songs. Wow! And uh, do you have a label? No, it's just us. You know, self-released. Uh, but um, I I started to say you should turn these these cassette demos into full songs, like full studio production. So I I got really I threw myself into, you know, making a a, a real album with him. 
and uh, uh, so we've done two so far. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of threw myself into the role of you know pseudo manager slash producer. You know, mm-hmm. not knowing anything about either of those mm-hmm. things, but figuring that never stopped Brian Epstein. Sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. So you're sitting I, on a real gold mine, huh? Yeah. It was like, I, you know, someone <laughs> should, because he's just, he's like, you know, Daniel is a bit like the character Oscar Isaac plays in uh, Inside Lou and Davis, uh-huh. you know? Uh, and he's, you know, I've taken Daniel with me to see Bob Dylan twice because uh-huh. I just wanted to be in the same room with the two of them. Just huh. to, to say I did it, you know. How long ago did you see Dylan? I saw uh, saw him last November at the Beacon Theater. How was he? He was great. I think he's great, you know. Uh, it's hilarious to me that he released a, that Sinatra record. Yeah. And like, you know, for the last decade, he's been playing live and undecipherable in some terror. And now like he puts a record out where he, cl- he clearly can still sing. And he can clearly, you know, deliver phrasing. Yeah. It's just that for, he just apparently gets on stage and it's like, how do you see him and not be like, is that a big fuck you? Is that a decade of like, you want this shit? Well, I'm going to garble through it. Yeah. I, you know, he, he, he kind of, he's, you know, I, I, I think he thinks of himself as a, well, it's like he said in that old film, I'm a song and dance man. No, I get that. I get that. He's an actor, you know, and, uh, he, he's just found a a new script to play with this Sinatra song book, you know, and, and he has a wonderful voice. He, his the last song of the evening was you know like uh, like nothing else the, the rest of the show he came out and played you know I don't know Strangers in the Night or something and sat at the piano and crooned and it was like who knew that Dylan could sing like that uh, and sure enough he had a whole album on the way of of uh, material like that it's, yeah you know it's uh, I think it's a little hit and miss some some songs would come off better than others but just that he wants to do that that his creative appetite led him in that direction I think it's hilarious that like you know you could see him some nights and not know what fucking song he's playing or singing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and yet he can still do it. Yeah, no, I, it's a I, choice. Yeah, sure, sure. It's it's it's. Well, I went to see him uh, uh, a year before the Beacon show at uh, the Mohegan Sun Arena. We drove up there, and you know, I thought that was going to be a bust because it was a casino, and yeah. it was just like uh, it's everyone, a nice. It's I've been up there it's for as for those type of casinos. It's a pretty nice place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that that ended up being a great show. There was a little. It took him about five or six songs to get into a groove. Uh huh. He looked really frustrated after the end of every tune with his band. Really, he just kept kicking his piano chair away and 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 really and coming back and starting the next song. And uh, but then something happened around the sixth tune. It was called the the, the tune uh, not dark yet, but getting there. It's, uh, from a what's that a, from time out of mind time or something out of mind, like that yeah. there was something that just settled in yeah you know they kind of found their moment he's like a you know a method actor you know in, in that way who else do you, you go know? see I, I've seen some pretty cool shows over the years I've gone to see people that I really wanted to see like I, I saw Ravi Shankar twice really once at Carnegie Hall in 98 and I saw him at UCLA uh, in 2000 just sitting there with his sitar and his daughter you know plays yeah. the sitar as well uh, uh, the the, uh, the Carnegie Hall show was just tremendous you know i mean they take that you know first half hour tuning up yeah they they always get applause for tuning up really uh, i've never seen the sitar show 
Yeah, it gets it's it's purely improvisational. So I mean, you it's. Maybe I used a, to do a joke about it. It was one of my favorite jokes <laughs> about that? like um, the the setup of the joke was uh, you know um, out of out of protest for you know I went out and bought a, an album by a band. I don't remember what the reference was. I didn't want to buy it. I just got bullied into it by listening to the radio. You know, I didn't really. And it bothered me that. It, that had been hijacked like that. Yeah. So I went and returned that CD, and I got a CD of traditional Indian music. And I said, uh, yeah, okay, you can judge me, you can laugh, but um, there's a song on there, half an hour long. <laughs> and I said, it takes 10 minutes for the drums to kick in. <laughs> but then I said, but if you're really listening, they couldn't come in a second sooner. <laughs> Uh, you know what was great during the show I saw the, the he actually broke a string oh no shit uh, aren't there like how many strings on a sit there's a lot right oh, yes, I don't know how many, <laughs> but there's a, a lot, lot. It's, it's kind of a big deal to, to break a <laughs> string on a sitar uh -huh. you know uh, it, it took a while to, to replace it but in the meantime he let the tabla player have a solo sure man and that was that was tremendous uh, whoever that guy was yeah uh, it was remarkable what someone knows who he is yeah, someone out there knows what. So, uh, right now, you mentioned that. Oh, he's talking about David. <laughs> yeah, I remember he looked a little bit like Donovan. You know? Oh yeah, uh, white guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked. He I love to see. I saw a white sitar player once at a small Indian restaurant, like on Sixth Avenue. There's Sixth Street. Sixth Street. It's a white guy, older guy. He must have been like thirty or forty. <laughs> and I, I remember I said, "It's got to be a lot of troubling calls home." You know. You're like, <laughs> I got another gig, ma. That's <laughs> in a different Indian restaurant. It's, a different <laughs> it's heartbreaking, but I, I, I seem to be enjoying himself. Yeah, you you gotta. I mean, you you gotta commit. You gotta love it. You gotta want it. Do you got? You play guitar? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do a little in the movie. Results. You noodling around. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, Did they tell you like don't play anything we can identify? I I think yeah. There was a, yeah. a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, they did say that. Yeah. Now I'm remembering. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I was 13 when I sort of w went uh, and decided I, I I wanted a guitar. But you know, my parents were like, this, you know, look, the acting thing is one thing. All right. Given you a year to figure that out, we're not getting you a guitar. Really? <laughs> so, um, I mean, they didn't put it in those words, but it was—I I just never got one until uh, until I was nineteen, and then I had my own means of. You of, had to wait six years, and then I finally got like a, a, a an acoustic guitar. Yeah, it was a a BC Rich, a BC Rich acoustic. Yeah. Huh. A friend of mine out in Astoria said, I, I got a guitar I could sell you if you really want, you know, and uh, it kind of, that's a, that guitar went around. It changed hands over the years. Yeah, there's a few of mine are out there. Yeah. Yeah. What was, how long have you been playing? Since I was like 12. Wow. 11 or 12. Who did yeah. you want to be? Who did you want to sound like or who, who was? I, you know, I, I think I've gotten better in the last five or six years. Like I, you know, I, I never had the discipline to learn leads or stuff. Yeah. You know, and in and like for years I just played. My mother just would say, "Go practice, go practice," and and I just knew chords and stuff. And then when I was in uh, high school, I started taking lessons from a guy who showed me pentatonic scales. 
And I just wanted to sound like, uh, you know, I just wanted to know how to play that Chuck Berry thing, that beginning, that Chuck Berry beginning. You know, and some kids showed me that in high school, and I was like, oh, my God, that's the best thing I've ever experienced in my life was knowing how to play that. Yeah. But I could have figured it out. I just never took much time to figure it out. And then uh, you know, I just never stopped playing, really. But now, like, I play a lot, and I, you know, I try to play with people. And I, I don't know... What I'm, what I, the sound I like now, is that like you know these this, these pedal people. They, I, Earthquaker sends me all these pedals because they sponsor sometimes. So I, I never was always anti pedals. I like just overdriving an amp, mm-hmm. like a little Fender amp, and uh, and just getting that dirty sound out of it. I used to be a Fender guy, just clean as fuck, mm-hmm. Strat, clean Strat, clean Telly, not much dirt on it. But then I start playing this little uh, Gibson Les Paul Jr. and sound like Johnny Thunders. And I'm like, is that easy to make this guitar sound like that? All I got to do is dirty this up, and that's a Johnny Thunders guitar. Yeah. And I was like, that's pretty cool. So then I start getting into Gibsons a little bit. Oh no. <laughs> you know, and I and I and I like a, I like dirty like, but still just with pretty basic tube overdrive, not too many effects. Yeah. I'm not a great player, but I, I when I play, I tend to play rock and blues mm-hmm. and some uh, some country stuff and. You know, but I don't play out a lot, but I'll noodle all the time. What about you? Um, when I when when I play guitar, I I I've I've had you know you know a handful of, of buddies over the years who who play drums, uh-huh. and we just get together at a you know you know a funkadelic or you know a cheap you know studio studio yeah. and, and just jam for two hours. Yeah improvising on, on just guitar and drums so it comes out like a like real punk uh-huh uh there's a sort of metal kind of muted chords and just grooves you know i i mean i i can't lick either i can't solo but i i love rhythms and i love drones and i love you, you like know, endless boogie the john lee hooker no, yeah no the band you ever heard of oh endless? no no you don't I know them don't know them it's an old dude Old dude from the island, <laughs> from Long Island, I think. They're from Long Island. Oh, all right. And it's like, uh, it's just sort of like swampy kind of uh, hard rock groove. Oh, wow. I'll play it for you if you want. The, yeah, I would love that. I love that style. I love, you know, you know, I love like, um, the, I guess, a so-called sort of punk blues uh-huh. sound, like like uh, um, uh, John Spencer, Blues yeah. Explosion. He's good, yeah. Or um, there was that band... Uh, um, Gun Club. Sure, I love them. Jeffrey Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I like that sound a lot. That's a great sound. Yeah, sure, uh, man. Um, and uh, I, I love you know. Oh God, I, I I like Black Sabbath a lot. Glad, me too. You know, when I got it a, took a late, it, I didn't come to them till later. Mm-hmm. Like so, like within the last decade, I was already in my forties. Oh, like I didn't grow up liking them, mm-hmm. but now like Sabbath sounds good. Those <laughs> records sound good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On vinyl, sure. At the end of the day, that sort of comes down to it's just like sort sure, of. Uh, uh, yeah, you're, my, my friend George and I, the guy in the story of sometimes we get together and to, to cleanse the palate. Sure, man. We'll put on, uh, you know, a. Uh, uh, Symptom of the universe, or yeah. what was that other song? Uh, Confusion. The, uh, the uh, I think it's track three on sabotage. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what the hell is it? Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's it's it just starts out with a. With a you play it on vinyl. No, uh, over at his place, we just listen. To I, it you on know, the I do computer. that too, man. Me and my buddy. I used to when I was uh, in college, my freshman year of college. Me and this kid from Scarsdale, actually, Cliff. 
we used to do this thing called the ACDC cruise where we we had I had a tape this mixtape of Bon Scott ACDC and we just get a couple of 40s and get in the car <laughs> and we drive until we finish the 40s wasn't it ACDC just nice. loud I'm, I'm a purist when it comes to like Sabbath and ACDC I, I really c- can't go past the original singer yeah me too I'm, I'm even weird with the Stones I, I have a hard time without Bill I just don't but like you too I, I, I'm with you Huh. I love his bass playing. Oh, you know, best. no one ever raves about Bill Wyman's bass playing. You know what you got to do? Was they, Abco just reissued Get Your Yaya's Out. Listen to that fucking record. Yeah. Bill and Charlie are on fire. The entire <laughs> thing would be chaos without him. <laughs> just like, it was, I never really noticed it as clear, but this, this, they're remastered a little. So they're a little more prominent. And it's just like Mick Taylor's great, Keith is great, but like those guys are just like it's all about them. Yeah. It's all about Charlie and Bill. Yeah, it's and they were all business. You know? All business. You know, uh I love John Lennon when he's talking about, you know, what what Mick Jagger, you know, shaking his ass around, you know. Yeah. It's, but you not Bill, not Charlie. Those guys gotta hold it down. So <laughs> so Mick can indulge. So those other guys can Well, Keith's like that too. Keith is like you know, I, I talked to them both for 10 minutes. Yeah. Keith they, and, and Mick. They called me two separate times. But I only had 10 minutes and it was tour specific. But, you know, I talked to them, you know. And it was like, did you read Keith's book? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, it's like yeah. the Bible, right? You read it like the Bible. I don't want this to end, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, but, you know, because I, I asked them both the question. I asked Mick, you know, do you miss Bill? And he goes, I miss his dancing, which is funny. <laughs> funny it's clever yeah <laughs> right and then i asked i asked keith the same question because oh it's been like 25 years i mean he's a good bloke but i mean i like my baseball he wouldn't throw the new guy under the bus because because keith just sees it as a band like it's his band mm-hmm. like and when you read his book you're like it's his band and mm-hmm. mick is his singer that's the way it goes mm-hmm. you know so it was a very appropriate answer very within in character like i like my bass player like he doesn't he it's it's you know it's uh it's it, it move it's you know like if you really think of that band you know who's come in and out and you know this, this you know and, and and supporting players but i mean they've had three fucking guitar players mm-hmm. right brian ronnie mick taylor yeah so like it is there is sort of a evolution to it yeah. And the supporting players have come and gone, mm-hmm. many of them. I wonder, it's like, you know, the, 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 maybe you would ask maybe Paul McCartney the same thing. Like, how come you don't have Ringo in there playing drums? He's still playing drums, you know. Yeah. You can get him in there to play. He's happy with the guy he has now, you know. It's like you once you get the, an upgrade, you know. I it's, guess it's an upgrade because they end up playing like the other guy anyways. You know, like on, Right. You know, but they're more versatile, I guess. I don't know, but you know it's weird. I don't understand it. Like you know, it's just, it's weird to me too. Even like you, you saying that you know you don't, you never saw you never see Ray Liotta or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like I always assume these guys are such good friends, but you know I you know, I worked with a guy on the radio for a year once, and we never hung out. And and it's like you know I I guess it's just a weird thing. Yeah. Who the fuck knows? Right. Yeah. They're not all having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, someone sent me a. a a picture of Woody Allen, recent picture. Yeah. He's just looks. I'm like, do you think he's as unhappy as he looks in this picture? It's like, who knows? You know, should he be? What's what's it to you? You know, yeah, it's like you, 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 we, we like we would like to think that you know all these guys are still. Uh, they, yeah, you're right. They're probably not that close. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. 
because I said that I said you know I like well Keith was very funny to talk to him for ten minutes because they're doing this tour and this was like a month ago, you know the tour is a month out. I said you talked to Charlie Watts. He goes yeah I talked to him today. I asked him what he was doing. He said he was packing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny, dude. Oh. So this this new movie, you like it? Yeah, I do. I like it. It seems pretty quirky and interesting. I am looking forward to finishing it. Yeah. I, I like all of this guy's movies. He, he's, he's, this is his fifth one, uh, you know, uh, and probably his most, uh, you know, visible one. Yeah. God, you've been in a lot of fucking movies, dude. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't have a lot to do in, in, in most of them, but <laughs> but when you when you see all those titles, it's kind of like yeah. uh, you're good with Patton in the thing. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I I was a big fan of Patton Oswalt yeah. before working on that movie with him. Uh, when I got that script, I read it, and I I, I they had offered me the part of the friend. Uh-huh. And, and uh, I said, I kind of like the lead part. Yeah. And uh, Robert, the director, said, Yeah, you'd be good, and you'd you'd be good at that. But it, we, I cast it already, so I don't know if you. I was like, Yeah, I, I'm I'm always the friend, you know. I don't yeah. I don't really know if uh, I don't know. Are you frustrated with that? Um, no, not not. Well, when when he told me who that it was going to be Patton as right. the lead guy, I was like, Oh, well, I'll I'll be his friend. Yeah, but it's <laughs> interesting. You have had a career of a sort of a. Second parts and the perennial you know. second banana. Yeah, but do you do do you want to make movies? Do you? I mean, do you, did you direct movies? I directed a, or a, a co-directed. I'm I'm really coming around to the to the, to the uh, admission that I I didn't direct this thing. Uh, the other guy did, but we he was gracious enough to take like a we 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 went on we credited ourselves as co-directors, uh-huh. but he really did everything. Uh-huh. And it was a, 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 a like a low budget kind of period piece based on a, a, a short story by a guy from the fifties named John McNulty, and he just wrote about drinking and about bars uh-huh. on Third Avenue. He was a real kind of East Side Manhattan guy. He wrote stories for the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. He wrote about like horse betters and cabbies and drinkers and yeah. and uh, uh, and uh, it, it was the easiest. <laughs> way to go was to just like adapt this one story by him about two guys in a bar what was it called it's called two people he never saw uh-huh it's it's on the internet uh it's it's uh me and an actor named nick sandow who's on orange is the new black uh-huh and uh it's pretty long for a short film it's about 25 minutes long and but you know we we uh shot it in this old bar in brooklyn i thought we kind of got at something with it it's kind of hard to adapt that guy's material but uh i i uh you know i i i take credit for it i take the blame for it you know uh there's something you want to do more of i do i want to have another go at uh at one of that guy's stories i want to make like a kind of a 40s movie what 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 part are you looking for really in your mind when you because you know we started off the conversation by you know you talking about those organic performances of younger actors but also like being you know moved by terms of endearment it really seemed to have a specific sort of feel to you the role you're always looking for that right role what would you like to do uh you know i i really i, I i'm not sure you okay. know i i, I you have I'm, to see it when 
You'll, you'll know it when you see well, it. Well, you know, I did kind of... I, I, the, the, there's a part I played on, on this show that's coming up on TNT in August called Public Morals, and it's a, it's a, it's, that's a period piece. It's, it's set in 1967. It's about the, NYP, the Public Morals Division of the NYPD in the mid to late 60s and the relationship between the Irish gangster underworld and the police department. Oh, that sounds cool. I got to play a you know a, a character in that named Smitty, who's a a, a, a a bookie, you know, and uh, I you know I, I I I felt like I was doing what I wanted to do in in that. I That's was tapping great. into something. I mean, I I, I love James Cagney, and I love the old days, you know, and uh, and and. This kind of got in. We got into that a bit, you know? and that's I, not quite the forties, but it's you know going it's, back. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm it's a, of, yeah, right. It's a I'm guy. Dig, I'm still digging my way back. Oh, that's know. great. Uh, well, God, well, I hope you get there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good at digging holes. Getting out of them, I. Uh, uh, it's going to be another story. And how are your parents enjoying the? They're good. They, they, you know, they, they, you know, they, they proud. They like you. Sure. Sure. They 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 uh they they get something out of it. Every, they do. You know, every, I mean, I think uh, yeah. It takes a while, doesn't it? <sighs> it? Takes a while for them to come. Like my mother's now sort of like, I saw you on the deal. Like now, I can genuinely hear that she thinks I'm I've done something. <laughs> Only uh, she's just coming to that last few years. Yeah. 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 Well, that must be gratifying. You know, better late than never. Do you feel that way about it? Or yeah, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's nice. It's does, nice. Does she understand exactly what you're doing? Yes. She listens to the podcast oh, all the time. No, no. The only way, she claims it's the only way she can uh, know what I'm up to. And be with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's good. We both, we, we both get along with our parents. <laughs> yeah, it's <We're> so boring. <laughs> is it? No, this is great, man. It was good talking to you. You feel good about it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We sure. picked up pace. Yeah. There was, a, there was a moment of panic there <laughs> where you're like, this is going nowhere. No, I I, 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 I did. I, I did feel that way. I still feel that way. But, you know, I, I'm I'm always going to feel that way, you know? Was there anything that you, you'd like to... Uh, is there uh, uh, one last thing nice we job. need to do? No, I, I had my shot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> That was, uh, I, I love that guy. He's a great guy. Like I said, I love that movie. I really enjoyed that movie. And now I'm going to, uh, now that this is an uh, eternal show between me talking about the Stones, it's not going to stop me from noodling. I have nothing planned here. Hey folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here, and when they 
they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.